0: Good morning. Welcome to Oikos. How are you all doing? Is anyone a little bit tired this morning? You guys are the Daylight Saving Time warriors. You made it here even on a rainy day. You didn't have the sun to wake you up. I'm very proud. I told Sarah we should be prepared for only 20 people to show up this morning. And then she said you should have more faith in your people. So I confess. We are talking about margin. This is a great day to talk about margin because We lost an hour, so we're going to be in Ephesians 5. So if you want to go ahead and look up Ephesians 5, we'll be in that today. As you are looking that up, um, you'll find it in the New Testament. And I just want you to think about a few questions as you're looking up Ephesians 5. How many of you would say this week that um, you would love to have a little bit more time maybe for yourself to rest or to do something that you enjoy? really? No one wants to do something that you enjoy, that you haven't been able to do? Just a few people? Put those hands up again so I can just see. Maybe you didn't even listen to me. So during the message, it's really important that even though my voice may sound a little annoying, you've got to listen. Awesome. Okay. So what about how many of you would say, if I had, if I had just a little bit more time, that would be awesome? Okay. Okay. And what about if I had, I would just like a little bit more time to spend with the people that I love. How many would like that? If you're married and you didn't raise your hand, if you're probably going to be in trouble. And I'm sorry for that, but it wasn't my problem because I did raise my hand on that one. Not really, I forgot, but that's all right. I'm asking you, not me. Okay, next question. I'd like to have more time to spend with God. How many of you would like more sp- time to spend with God. I was kind of hoping for a unanimous consent there. Um, We'll keep working on that. All right, so if you were given an extra hour, let's say all of a sudden it just, instead of 24 hours in a day, you had 25. Would that be a good thing? And if you think it would be a good thing, what would you do with it? I can already, most of you are saying, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to take a nap. So if we are looking at 25 hours, that probably isn't going to be the case. That hasn't been something that the Lord has ever given, except one time when he made the sun stand still. Maybe on that day it was 25 hours instead of 24. But most often he doesn't change the things that he made that were good. So for whatever reason, he decided that 24 hours in a day was good, and he gave us that time. And the problem that we face is that we're not given more time. You can't find more time. In fact, I read an article in The Economist, and it talked about that it's really more about our perception that we have more leisure time today than people did 60 years ago. In fact, we have more breaks in the day. It's, you know, workers making sure we value the workday. So we have more breaks during the day. We have more vacation time than people ever had before. So we actually do have more leisure time. But we seem to somehow lose it. It also talked about that oftentimes you think if you make more money, then you'd have more time. But what it shows is it's actually opposite. So those who have become more money wealthy become time poor. And the reason is that your time never grows. Even if your wealth increases, you just have more opportunities to do other things. So you become even more time poor. And that's why we're talking about margin today. Because in a country that really the poorest of our poor are some of the richest in the world. We are time poor, not resources poor. And so as we look at creating margin, what we need to talk about today is, well, how do you actually do that? What are some key questions that you need to be asking yourselves if you really want that margin? And it is a process. If you haven't been with us last week and you're going, margin, what are you talking about? Margin is... The amount available beyond what is necessary. Or another thing, another way to say it is that it's the difference between what you already have and what you actually need. That's margin. You want to think about the video that was played. Margin is that piece on the paper that you're not supposed to write in, or you get a a, an F in penmanship. It's that part that you're supposed to keep open. As an artist, we call it white space. You want to make sure you have white space into pictures because if you don't, the eye can't breathe. It becomes too busy and crazy. And so margin is the same thing that we want in our life. We want to make sure we have margin, space to breathe, space to rest. So Ephesians chapter 5. Margin allows us to think about some things like if we had it, we actually could go and serve somebody that person that needed help, that we said, oh, I don't have time to do that. Margin also creates time for our kids that we don't yell at them first out the door because we actually had space to breathe and so our patience has increased. Margin means that we're having time to actually be interrupted and be glad about it. As we go into Ephesians 5, I pray that our hearts will begin to be open to the fact that God wants us to have more margin than what we have already designed in our daily life with him. Ephesians 5, chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Sometimes we read these verses and we discount it and go, well, that's not me. (laughs) I mean, I don't live like a fool. But I hope that we'll take some time, especially in the season of Lent, where we repent and believe. So, just think for a moment, where have I been living like a fool? The best way for you to kind of identify that is, where if I was investing in someone else, so maybe it's your child, or maybe it's a younger brother or sister, or maybe it's a worker that you're working with, what area of my life do I want them not to imitate? What area of my life do I want them not imitate. That would be right here in verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. When you're asked to do something, how do you decide whether or not you should say yes or no to it? How many of you were asked to do something this week? Now, a lot of times when we think about it, whether I should say yes or no, it has to do with a couple things. Number one is, do I even want to spend time with that person? Right? So a person goes, hey, why don't you come out and have dinner with me? You have to go, hmm, I can do 30 minutes, but I can't do like an hour and a half. So let's, can we go get a drink? (laughs) I mean, so you you make those adjustments, right? Or it might be, do I even want to do? So, maybe they have invited you to go fishing and you hate fishing. You may go, um, no, I don't fish, so I'm not going to go. Or hunting or shopping. Maybe your wife goes, why don't you come shopping with me? My wife never says that to me because I annoy her, but maybe it's shopping and you go, uh, no, I really, I don't want to do that. So it's more based on what you want to do and whether you want to do it with that person. Or maybe it's in the job, they've asked you to do something and you go, well, do I want to do that or not? And we kind of, do you kind of make your decisions that way? Come on, people. You guys are not holier than thou. I mean, come on. I make those decisions that way. Well, maybe I'm just more sinful. I'm sinful because I go, mm, I don't know if I want to do that. And In my normal mode of operation, which is totally against God, that's my normal mode. I'm against God. I'm an enemy of God in my normal mode. I am. I'll go, oh, I don't want to do that. So I make a decision, and I think my decisions become more about me than about whether or not I'm doing this for the Lord. And if I'm not doing it for the Lord, it's probably not wise. Now that's extreme, but we're going to push into that a little bit more. I would rather have you guys ask this question. Instead of, do I want to do it? Is this something, is this someone I want to work with? Or is this something I want to do? I'd rather have you guys ask the question, is it wise for me to do it? When you ask the question, is it wise for me to do it, it turns your selfishness upside down. Because then all of a sudden you have to decide, well, maybe it's not about me, and maybe it means I even have to change my calendar. So I use the iPhone, right? And I put things in my calendar. And if someone calls me and says, we need to do lunch, and maybe I don't really like that person. Yes, pastors don't like everybody. And I go, uh, shoot, it's open. Um, I'm going to ha- do I have to say yes? Or can I come up with something else? You guys are like, I think I've had that phone call with him. <laughs> um, or I may have something on my calendar. Now, if it's about me, I go, sorry got some on my calendar, can't meet with you. But if I say, is it wise? I actually have to then put my calendar and turn it over to the Lord and say, Lord, whatever I've got in there, I need to ask you what you want me to do. Just because I put it in here doesn't mean that it's from you. And just because a person asked me to go and do it for those of you who are pleasers doesn't mean that you have to say yes either. It's the ability to say, is it wise? Having lunch with someone calls you for lunch doesn't always automatically mean that you should say yes. Sometimes the Lord says, it is wise to say no because I need you to just stop and breathe for one moment. I need you to have lunch with me. Is it wise? What we want to do is ask that question so that we can live a balanced life. And I want you to watch this video. It's about living a balanced life that lives after the life of Jesus, what he showed his disciples how to live. And it's living an up and an out life. Take a look.
1: To be a disciple means we're learning to be like Jesus, growing in his character while learning to do the things he could do, developing his competencies. It's about character and competency. To do this, we increasingly pattern our life after the life of Jesus. So one of the questions we have to ask is how Jesus would pattern his life if he had your job, if he had your personality type, your family situation, lived where you lived, or made the same amount of money that you make. When we examine the life of Jesus in the Gospels, what we see emerge is a particular way of relating to the world around him. He is very intentional in how he used his time to invest in certain kinds of relationships. It's the pattern of his whole life in ministry. Put another way, Jesus had three great loves that his entire life oriented around. In Mark 9, 2 through 29, we see Jesus go up a mountain to pray, but this wasn't abnormal for Jesus, was it? Throughout his life, he was constantly getting away from the crowds and everyone else to spend time with his first love, attending to the upward dimension of his life, his relationship with his Father. We then see him come down the mountain and run straight into the people he's investing his life into, his disciples. Jesus was never ambiguous about who his spiritual family was. In attending to the inward dimension of his life, Jesus spent more than 50% of his time with just his spiritual family and no one else. But then he steps out into the full brokenness of the world, driving out an evil spirit from a troubled boy. Jesus attends to the outward dimension by dealing with sin head on. He's concerned with how sin affects individuals, How each person is separated from God because of their sin and doomed because of it. And he's concerned that when you get a bunch of sinful people together, they create systems of sin and injustice. Sin creates individual problems and communal problems. Jesus stepped out and brought hope to both. Three great loves. He was deeply connected to his father. He was constantly investing in those his father had given him to disciple and to be spiritual family with and he entered into the brokenness of the world with good news and asked for a response individually and communally. To be disciples of Jesus, we pattern our life in the same way that Jesus did, up, in, and out. Most people are naturally good at one. They're okay at a second, and they're fairly bad at a third. But rather than simply playing to our strengths, we commit to be learners. The invitation of Jesus is to pattern our life after His, to learn His ways, and to let His power be made perfect in our weakness. But we also recognize that because a collection of Christians is the body of Jesus, we want the full expression of Jesus, not just parts of it, so that these three dimensions saturate community life as well. Whether it's a group of eight people or a group of 8,000, When a group of people is committed to truly being the body of Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins stoking the fires of a red hot center by which people can't help but be drawn into the warmth of. When we have a spiritual family learning to live into up, in and out in a communal way, people the Lord has prepared can't help but be drawn in because this community is the gospel made visible.
0: How many of you want an up-in-and-out lifestyle, pattern after Jesus? I hope that you all raise your hands because I think that's exactly where you find margin. You find margin when your life is patterned after the one who showed us how to live, the one who gave us life in the first place, life eternal because he died for each of us. We learn to put margin in our lives by saying yes to some things but saying no to other things, saying yes to the wise things and no to the foolish things. Yes to the wise things, and no to the foolish things, so that our life can resemble more like the life of Jesus, where we are balanced between up and out, where we know that we need to have time with the Father, but we can't spend our entire day, every day, up on a mountain praying. We can't spend our entire day, every day, just around Christian friends, because it's comfortable. We can't spend 24 hours a day just out touching people's lives because we will become unbalanced. And so God has called us into a greater life. Romans chapter 12 says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, maybe giving you wisdom. Then you'll learn how to know.
2: Because we don't want to
0: live a normal life. We want to be different or weird. We want to have people look at us and say, kind of, what's wrong with them? Anybody want to do that? Thank you, Howard. You and I can be weird together. Everybody else wants to be normal, but let me tell you what normal is. Normal for marriage. What's normal for marriage in our country? Not to get married, number one. And then number two, divorce. That's our normal. Normal for kids. What's normal for kids? Rebellion. Have you walked in Target lately when families are running around? Please don't observe our family. When families are running around and people are like, ah! Have you listened to People with adult children go, I don't know what happened. Rebellion, that's normal. What's normal relationally? You know how many people I talk to who have been married for 20 or some years? They can't stand their spouse? Normal for relationships is emptiness. A bunch of relationships of people who really don't know you. That's normal. When it comes to scheduling, normal usually equates to being overwhelmed. Anyone feeling that? Being overworked? Anyone feeling that? Being frenzied? Anyone feeling that? Being being stressed? Being miserable? Being busy? So, when I ask people how you're doing, guess what I get? Oh, I'm busy. Busy, 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 busy. I'm doing this and doing that because for some reason we feel that that holds more worth. But I want to tell you that busyness does not always equal productivity. I worked with a lady. this one lady, and she was way busy. She would stay there at the church from 8 o'clock in the morning till sometimes 8 or 9 o'clock at night. And what was she doing? She was putting together Excel sheets that then she would never use. But we thought we needed to have these because for whatever reason, it was organization or something. And I would look at her and I'd say, You're much better at organization than I am, and I appreciate that. But do you really think this is good for your marriage? To leave early in the morning and not come home until late at night? What does 20 years from now look like for you? Because what it looks like, from my perspective, is a divorce. Busyness doesn't always equal productivity. productivity. You might get a lot done. You might make a lot of money. And you may lose your family in the process. I don't think that's following the up and and out lifestyle of Jesus. So what does Sarah and I, we look at things because we get invited to do things quite often. Um, we're not the most popular people, but we do get invited to things, surprisingly, to you all. We get invited once in a while to something. And sometimes it's for leadership, and we get invited to do things, and we have to make a decision. Is this wise for us? The way we figure out if it's wise is we ask these questions. First of all, should I say yes, and if I say yes, for whose approval? Am I saying yes so that this person that I think is really, really cool will accept me? Well, I say yes because I'm concerned that my boss wants, this is the only way I can gain approval with my boss? Do I say yes because it will gain approval by my parents? The only time that we say yes is when we answer that question. We say, it's because I think this is what God wants me to do. And he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant at the end. Otherwise, we say Go ahead. It's good. You have to practice this. We don't know this word at times. So it's good for us to say when it's foolish. We ask the other question of, do I, am I saying yes because of my own ambition? Actually, make me seem better to myself. If I say yes to those two things, then we have to say no. If it's about my own ambition, it's probably going to be foolish. Because remember, my normal mode is what? An enemy of God. So I have to be weird and think differently and say, transform my mind so that I'm not moving towards my normal mode. Instead, I'm moving towards your will, your good and perfect and pleasing will. We ask a third question, is saying yes feeding my own appetite? how many of you would really go oh no because my app that's that's going to my appetite well i want you to start moving that way of going well, honestly that wouldn't be good for me honestly right now i have enough so when we ask when we're asked to do something and we go is this feeding my appetite cuz we want more stuff but we'll never get more time So it probably means we're going to have less margin. Remember the article I quoted from The Economist? The more money you get, the more time poor you become. Do I really want that? Is that what God wants me to do? So we ask this and we do this through conversation. We do it individually in prayer and then we come together and we go, so is this feeding our approval or our appetite or and we don't always use those words. I mean, it's not like we're like always on the language here. But we talk about it. Whose approval are you seeking by saying yes? Because you already have God's approval. So is this something he wants you to do or are you doing this because of this other person? Are you trying to feed your own appetite because you don't trust that God is taking care of us? So you're going after just a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. I want to say yes to the wise things and no to the foolish things. There's a couple things that Sarah and I have done to be able to do this. And one is that we try to change our own perspective. So we wanted to say yes because we believe that God wanted to have people over to our house. But we realized that we were overly crazy about how we prepared for people to come over. So there's a story of when we were first married and I was inviting a whole bunch of people over at this first church we served at because we wanted to make sure we met the leaders and blah, blah, blah. Well, we were newly married. This is our first year. We just moved. Everything was moving fast. We had a lot of transition and we were inviting people over to our little apartment. So we decided, Sarah's like, I'm going to make lasagna. I think I can do that. She didn't really know how to cook as well as she does now. So she had a limited menu. So we had lasagna, and I said, she goes, I'm going to have lasagna, and how's that? And I'm like, well, we got to visualize what that's going to look like on the plate. Just lasagna. We're going to just pass that out? So then we became, we had this elaborate meal that we had to put together for everybody that came over. We were exhausted. Our margin was zippo. By the time we had 10 couples over, we were like, I don't know if I ever want to do this again. We were using our china. We were, you know, on our like pseudo card table in our thing, in our little apartment, because we were trying to gain approval, honestly, from these people that we're inviting over. We probably could have ordered Domino's. In fact, that's what we did with howard and Alyssa the other night and it tasted great we have changed our mode that it's okay to do some of those things when the lord says this needs to be everything put everything out for this meal but there's other times that he says you can order dominoes and use paper plates and uh, pass out they can drink their beer out of the bottle whatever you want to do it's fine that's okay. So we changed our perspective on what it looks like to invite people over so that we can say yes to more people coming over, and no to making it so extravagant that it's impossible for us to do every time. We've also said different uh, a no to some of our budget items. Sarah was used to buying new clothes almost every month on her own budget before we were married. When we got married, I didn't share that same concern of shopping, but we went back and forth on it. But we've also then went through and we prayed on what the Lord wanted us to spend our money on. And one of the things was that we weren't really giving that much to the Lord. And so we said no to shopping every month and yes to giving because we knew that was the wise thing. And now the Lord has provided enough resources that we probably could still go, we could go shopping every month and give. But we don't go shopping every month. We go shopping like twice a year. Sometimes. We. Sometimes. Don't catch me on my message. Sometimes. So the first thing that we do when we talk about how do we build in this margin so we can say, do the wise things, the first thing is time with God. So if you're taking notes, just write that down. You're going to see, this is going to seem counterintuitive because you're going to say, if I want more time, why am I going to give up more time?
2: That's that turning away
0: from your normal mode into his mode, aligning your heart to him instead of yourself, pushing those things away so that you can say, I'm going to make wise choices today. It's repenting and then it's believing because it's one thing to say, I'm going to do these things. It's another thing to actually do them. It's one thing to say, Oh, I love spending time with the Lord every day. It's another thing to actually spend time with the Lord every day. Did you catch that? Because so many Christians, so many people that go, I follow Jesus, go, Oh, I love spending time with the Lord. But when I actually ask them, Well, how do you do that? It's like, Well, I try to maybe do it. Don't you love that maybe in there? Like once a week. Sometimes I forget. The average time for people to spend time in the Word is like once a month. That's for Christians. Probably non-Christians probably spend more time in the Bible than some Christians because they want to find out what Christians believe. What would happen if we spent time on the wise things instead of the foolish things? So the first thing that we do, Sarah and I, in our life of trying to do an up-and-out up in and out lifestyle as we spend time with God every morning. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 seek the kingdom of God above all else. staff comes together every morning to spend time in the Word and pray. Now, just read a quick little devotion and move on. But we spend concentrated time in prayer, in His Word, and we reflect on our schedule. Because remember, this is not my calendar. It's His calendar. This is not my life. It's His life. And so, sometimes our calendar shifts because of that prayer time. In the other places that I have worked, the priority of business overtook the priority of spending time with God. I'll tell you what is better and what's wiser. And it does sacrifice things. Maybe we might not get as much busy work done, but I'll tell you, I think we're making wiser choices with the time that he's given us. But you probably are all sitting there going, that's all good and nice, but you're a pastor and you work once a week for about two hours. And by the way, Aaron, Oikos has like three staff people, so awesome for you. But how do we actually do it in our life? So the best example I can give you because I think she's spectacular is my wife. Sarah is a mom of four kids. They're all Ten and younger. She is an incredible mom, too. She's not in here, so I can say all this stuff. Her head won't get big. She loves those kids. She spends time reading with them. She does the homework. I watch her do things. I'm like, wow, how did she do that? Maybe I should. And then I'm like, I can't do that. She's incredible with our kids. She talks with them. She makes sure she knows about their day. She hits every one of their lunches during the day while she's a full-time teacher. And she's not just a regular teacher. She is an expert teacher. She's been recognized by organizations. She's been recognized by HISD as one of the top-tier teachers because she does and loves her job. She says yes to the wise things in her job. And no to the things that are foolish. Not only is she a teacher, but she's a pastor's wife. And only those who have been a pastor's wife really know what that looks like. But it looks like you get hit with every angle. So everything that you don't want to talk to the pastor about, guess who they talk to? Why don't you tell your husband, blah, blah, blah. But not only does she do that, but she loves the women of this church. She invests in them. She calls them. She spends time with them. She loves the people of this place. Not only does she do that, but she's upstairs right now doing C&K Kids, something that she designed and put together, and she's invested in ladies and men to lead and teach. She puts together curriculum, looks at ways to make sure that we are helping kids understand what the kingdom of God looks like and how they have a critical part every day. I told you she's awesome. Not only does she do that, but she's also a board member of a local group called Learn Local where we invest in our local public schools to make sure they're a place where kids can learn and really receive a great education. She's awesome. Now, it sounds like she has no margin. But she has margin because she says no to the foolish things and yes to the wise things. Has she always done well at this? No. Has she been overwhelmed? Absolutely. Has she been frenzied? Absolutely. So she doesn't do this alone. She does this at home. We have at times said you know what? We have to have someone come in and clean the house. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe the Lytles have someone come in and clean their house. We've had people come in and clean our house. And the reason why we did it is because I said, Sarah, I really need you to devote your time to the people that you're evangelizing in your school. And I'd rather have you spend an extra half hour after school talking to that teacher about who Jesus is than running home to try to clean our house really quick before we have people over. So sometimes we have people clean our house. I found this great thing called Instacart just recently. They'll deliver your groceries. So sometimes, guess what? We have people deliver our groceries because we decided that we will maximize our time on the things that we believe the Lord is asking us to do instead of doing the things that we can say no to. We can say no to going to the grocery store sometimes. Sometimes we say yes. She doesn't do it alone. She has some awesome people here at Oikos. Some of you know who you are. You've watched our kids so that we can do other things. You have brought food over to us so we can do other things. Does that occur just because we're the pastor? I hope not. I hope that occurs for everybody. Because that's what we want to build here. Is that we are working together so that we all can say yes to the Say yes to the wise things and no to the foolish things. The biggest thing that Jesus has spoken into our life is that we absolutely have to say no to some things so that we can say yes to the wise things. And sometimes we say yes to things and we know we're going to leave early so that we can say yes to the next thing. So we'll say yes to a wedding party, but guess what? Are we going to close out that party? Not unless the Lord tells us to. Because he's probably saying that we need to be in worship. Because what we want to say yes to is yes to the up relationship. We want to be in relationship with our Father. So if things come in between us and our relationship with our Father, we're going to say no. So even if I wasn't a pastor, we would be in worship on Sundays. Because we want to say yes to that relationship with the Father. We would say yes to that morning time with the Lord. Because we want to have a yes to the up. We would say yes to invitations from our family. Because we'd want to get to know you. Because we're doing this journey with you. So our church family would be something that would always have a place on our calendar. It wouldn't get shoved out by all the other things that we think are important. We would say yes, that we have to make space for the opportunities that happen during the week when someone that we don't know needs help. Because maybe it is a chance to share Jesus. And I know it's hard because you're still going, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, you would. I bet you would. But you're the pastor sitting up there, blah, 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 blah. Even if you think that we wouldn't do it, it doesn't matter because you don't need my approval. You need to ask the Lord, what's the wise thing to do? I believe that Sarah and I are trying to do the wise thing. And sometimes we're stupid, but we ask the Lord to forgive us. And that's where the repent and believe occurs. It's a natural rhythm that we try to build into our life. The second thing that we do so we can have yes to the wise and no to the foolish. The first thing is what? Okay, let's make sure that you're, what's the first thing that you do? This is key. The first thing that you do is key. Who's ready to spend time with God this week? That's the first critical thing. And we try to discount it. In fact, it's the first thing that runs off our schedule. It's the first thing that we say, I got to get to work so I don't have time for God. This would be radical. Are you ready for this? I hope you don't get fired this week if you follow this, but this would be radical. What if you actually said to your boss, I'm sorry that I'm late. It's not your fault. It's my fault. I didn't make enough margin in my morning, and if I don't start my day with the Lord— I can't give you my best. So I'm late today. It won't happen again. What if that was your excuse? It's radical. But I I would like us to be wise instead of frenzied, rushed, and overwhelmed. I almost bet that your boss would appreciate the honesty And as long as you didn't make an excuse, like some of you are thinking like, ooh, I can be late every day. Sorry I was spending time with the Lord today, Lord. I mean, boss. (laughs) Um, Make sure you forgive me on that. But what if you actually said, no, the most important thing is not my job. The most important thing is my relationship with my father. And if I have to go in and tell my boss that I messed up because I didn't make enough margin, that's okay. The second most important thing is intentional times of rest. It's the next thing that we don't do as a culture and we don't do as a society. If you love your marriage, always being on the brink of divorce. If you love the normal that your kids don't respect authority, don't want to listen to you and your advice. If you love that normal, then continue living the way you, you live. But if you want to change and say, I don't want to be foolish anymore. I want to be wise because Jesus gave his life for me. So that i could call others into a life worth imitating so that they could have eternal life forever with him do i have a life that i want to call people into you're overwhelmed frenzied crazy and then you go oh by the way i'm a christian well that's awesome isn't it that's a great way to get people excited about jesus come be a follower of jesus And be overwhelmed. What if we actually began to say, you know what, Jesus? He told us very clearly to turn our burdens over to you, and you will give us rest. He loves you that much, His love doesn't change. Even when we're overwhelmed and going down the wrong path, he still looks at you and says, Come to me. You're my brother and my sister, and I love you deeply. And I want to spend eternity with you. Let me give you rest. I've got a couple last questions before we close up here. So don't look around, just raise your hand, be real honest. If you can say yes to this, go ahead and raise your hand. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't have consistent, intimate time with God. Talk about margin. It doesn't come easy, Lord. It's simple, but it doesn't come easy. I pray that we would take our calendars and we'd lay them up on your altar. That we would release our schedule, our selfishness, our foolishness to you. And then we would allow you to speak into our life. None of us are perfect, Lord. Not even my wife, though she does things and does a lot of them with a smile. She still needs your forgiveness, as all of us do. We still all need to learn how to do margin better. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak into our each and each individual here, that and each family that's here, each group of friends that have come here this morning. That you would speak into our lives and stir our hearts. Allow us to start making small steps towards building margin in our life. Margin so that we can respond to you when you call. We can serve when there's a need. We can spend time with you and rest. Stir our hearts, Lord. Stir our hearts and help us listen to your voice. In your name we pray, amen.